Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is May 5th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, It will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships, and I've been using it to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it out, copy it as often as you like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they actively apply these tools in their lives. And it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd be grateful if you would give us a call at 563-999-3581. 
and press 1 on the phone, and it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see that, and I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. We appreciate when people do that as well because that makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work, Michael and Jeannie have for spending all of their time, intelligence, money, and energy in this direction. The intention is to be a service. And it's far easier for us to be a service when we know what's landing well for you and what's giving you the best benefit and um, so here we sit on a Friday we had our support group last night last night we were reading a little bit of and discussing some of Pierre Prattervan's new book that's it's not out yet so please don't um, Spend your time trying to find it. You can pre-order it, but it's not going to get released apparently until July 18th. But it's a book about spiritual discernment, how to make sure that if you're going to start on a spiritual path or find a teaching or a teacher, how you can keep a balance between um, being led and doing your own work being led from inside yourself and taking in input from others. And um, and I have had quite the busy week with patients who are struggling to see their own value and patients who are working through uh, significant traumas from their past and um, I'm also working on the book titled May Cause Side Effects. And it's written by a young woman who spent, I don't know, maybe 15, maybe 17 years or more on psychotropic meds and was still feeling suicidal and um, finally decided that rather than end her life, she could always do that later, but first she thought, maybe I'll just try to see what it's like to live without all these meds in my system, which is something she hadn't done since she was 15 years old. And so it's a rather grueling story of the process of withdrawal from these meds, and, um, and it's also a story of hope and strength because she did it. And um, she's found how to, she found some very good therapy help. And she was very strong and intelligent to begin with. And she found a way to construct a life that's worth living without all of the meds in her system. So I haven't finished that book. I'm not, you know, giving a full on recommendation to people, but it is. It is heartening for me when I hear about people like this woman. Her first name is Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E. And her last name is C-M or S-I-E-M. 
And it's heartening for me when I hear about people who are doing the work, whatever it takes. They're willing to go through the fire, you know, the trial by fire or the emotional upset and do whatever it takes, in other words, to make their life better. Better on their own terms, not necessarily better the way somebody else would judge better. But So that's, you know, it's a, it's a very big theme of the books we've been reading, um, A Walk in the Physical and My Big Toe. They're, they're, the very big theme is do your own work inside yourself. Tap into the source of wisdom that every human being can get access to because it's inside yourself. And it's outside the realm of your conscious logical mind. This is a bit confusing for people. So we say in our reality management worksheet process, I cancel my need to be right and I ask to be shown. Well, many people think I'm asking something outside of myself. And yet, all of these other great spiritual teachings say there really isn't anything outside of you. Your consciousness is connected to all that is and the one mind, etc. So what we're asking for help from is something that's inside of our consciousness and yet outside of our conscious awareness, outside of the conscious logical mind or what Michael would call the nine-bit mind. Because that part of my mind, my brain, can only spit back what's been put into it. I, I had a... You know, there, there are these times when things come out of my mouth when I'm on the Internet show, and um, people go, wow, that's profound, or whatever. And I just kind of say, yeah, it kind of is. I'll have to go back and listen to the recording to hear what I said. And people make the mistake of thinking that's coming out of me because I'm so bright. And the fact of the matter is it's flowing from someplace outside my conscious logical mind. It's not something I have figured out. I have a, a situation where my car fob will occasionally get triggered as I'm walking into the house and it will open the back tailgate of my car. And if it's in the garage and the car, the garage door is closed, I don't see it. I don't know it's open. And so I go out in the morning and the car won't start because the battery's dead because the tailgate was open all night and that means the light was on, etc. My conscious logical mind is what I use to sort out, okay, this is what time of morning it is, this is when I have a patient coming to the office, this is what I have to get done before I get to the office, do I have time to charge this battery with the device I have in the garage, or do I need to call an Uber or a taxi, and or is this a patient that I can tell I'm going to be 10 minutes late and still show up? That's what my conscious logical mind does. 
But my conscious, logical mind doesn't come up with most of the stuff that you'll hear me say on this Internet show. And yesterday, you know, or the day before, I said something and I kind of chuckled. And as I said, I don't think it's ever come out of my mouth quite this way. And um, I said something like, it's not, your thoughts aren't true because you think them. I have all kinds of thoughts that aren't true. Now, some of my thoughts are true. How can I tell the difference? When I have, I'm left with a really good feeling, they're probably true. When I'm left with any kind of tension or upset, they're probably not so true. Or they're only partially true. Yesterday I was having a conversation with a couple in their mid-70s. And the conversation's a lot about death and God and what's on the other side of death and what's the true nature of God and the universe and these are just, <laughs> these are just the kind of conversations I have with people <laughs> and in the middle of it it just pops into my head that the the one woman was talking about her near-death experience and she was saying about how she was in the presence of God. And the way she said it, the implication was very strong that when she's in her physical body and consciously aware, she's not in the presence of God. And I waited until she was done talking, and then I offered this, what what at some level might seem like just semantics, but as we know, the way I think and speak programs my mind to, to reinforce my beliefs. And so I said something to the effect of, when you talk about it that way, it makes it sound like when you're awake and aware in your body consciously, you're not with God and God isn't with you. And all the great spiritual teachings say, if God is everywhere and God is everything and God is all knowing and God is love and love is everything and love is all there is, that even now, as we're listening to this Internet show or I'm speaking on it, the, the presence of the divine, the connection to all that is, that which gave rise to me, is right here, and I am connected to it. As the discussion went back and forth, because she pushed back a little bit. Well, that's not quite what I meant, but it is so different in the in the near death experience, etc. I had the image of an infant that has just been able to recognize things, and of course, everything it sees, it wants to put in its mouth. But at that level, where it may just be crawling around, at that level of development, if you've got a little red rubber ball. And it's big enough so that the baby won't swallow it. So you're letting the baby play with the ball. And you, you take it away from the baby and the baby grabs for it. And, and maybe you want the baby to take a bite of food or something. And so you want to get it distracted from the ball. If you put a napkin over the ball and the baby can't see it, it's like it doesn't exist for that baby. Because that baby is at the developmental stage that's before what psychologists would call object constancy. 
And if it's not directly in the line of sight for that baby, it might as well never have existed. And so I said, so we here as human beings in the physical, we're like that infant. Like like the ball is still there under the napkin and all the adults in the room know that. It's right there. And there's just this one little piece of cloth obstructing the, the direct line of sight view from the baby to the ball. And the baby, now its entire world is is progressing without there ever having been a ball, as though there is no ball. All the adults in the room know the ball is right there. So it's like it, with the people in non-physical, they all know God is all that is, and we're all part of that, and God is everywhere and in everything. But when we get... <laughs> When we get into the physical form, it's like somebody puts a little napkin over God and we can't see it. And we go, well, God is dead and there's no God here. And and here's the proof that there's no God because if there was a God, he wouldn't let my child suffer and et cetera, et cetera. I'm telling you, I didn't spend any time thinking this up. It just came pouring out of my mouth. It's not from my conscious logical mind. I'm not that bright. I have certain <laughs> I have certain skills and intelligences in different areas. Making up these deep spiritual truths and how to say them in different ways is not a skill that I have. It just comes flowing out. And if I sit and try to think up something really bright and funny to say or insightful to say, I stammer like you know, like a third grader who's got to read in front of class. And so what we're asking for guidance or assistance from is something that's not outside our consciousness and yet it's outside the processing of our conscious logical mind or what Michael Rice would call the nine-bit mind or what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind. And so please understand for all of us, there's no one here who's being held up as... um, a spiritual leader or somebody who's um, even more adept than another person. There's just the teaching which says every one of us needs to discover for ourselves the truth of our lives, the truth of our nature, and what we might do to be able to a little bit increasingly more and more consciously extend that truth and awareness of that truth first extend it in our own experience and then extend it in every interaction with every person and everything. So God is right here, right now, always. Light, source energy, consciousness, love, right here, right now, always. Because we are still in the physical body and because we rely so heavily on the five senses, It's like somebody threw a napkin over God and we can't see him and we don't have object constancy yet. We haven't reached the spiritual level of development that allows us to live in the full knowledge that God is still here. Just like every adult in the room knows when the baby loses sight of the red ball that the ball is still there underneath the napkin. Every adult has reached that level of object constancy in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, all of us, well, 
the vast majority of us who are still in the body have not yet reached that level of object constancy for the existence of the divine, for our connection to everyone and everything. And we'll grow into it as we ask to be shown, as we open ourselves to learn, as we make ourselves subordinate to that connection to a divine intelligence that goes beyond what our conscious logical mind can process. So, I joked about it last night in the support group. I wonder how I'll end up writing about this, that God is the little red rubber ball (laughs) under the napkin. (laughs) And that's our job. Our job is to grow enough in our awareness of our true nature and our, you might call it our spirituality, that we develop object constancy for things that don't register in our five senses. So, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Come on, push the button, have a little chuckle with me. Tell me how this is landing for you, or even if it makes sense. (laughs) Because sometimes when it makes really good sense to me, it doesn't make such good sense to others. And I have to do some stretching of my words or explanations um, to get the connection. 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1. We can have a conversation. I sometimes wonder when I have thoughts like that what uh, what response we would get from Christian Sundberg or Thomas W. Campbell or Guy Finley or Ganga G or Abraham, which... You know, we, as I have talked about these various teachers and their audio and video and their books that I've read, um, they they essentially match at least eighty or ninety percent of the content, and that's why I keep bringing them up for clarification and for review of the similarities um, not the idea of pointing up all the differences and arguing about which one is truly right so nobody has a hand up so we'll go back to the Christian Sundberg book A Walk in the Physical and the next essay up is 53 and it reads death need not be feared and boy this was a big topic in the in the, the session I had with the two 75-year-olds yesterday, is that as we have a session every second or third week, for this whole past year and a half, two years, there's rarely been a time in a two- or three-week period where they haven't either heard of the death of somebody they know or attended the wake and the funeral. So that's why the concept of the end of life, the true nature of God, and, and, and what happens after death was on the topic or on the table yesterday. 
So it's not coincidental that we're reading the essay number 53 from the book A Walk in the Physical, titled, Death Need Not Be Feared. Being afraid of death is like the dreamer being scared to wake up, because the dreamer doesn't remember waking life while he is asleep. Metaphorically speaking, you are in a dream right now while you're listening to this book. You may not remember what it is to be, quote, awake, close quotes, because such amnesia is necessary and a necessary requirement of buying completely into the dream. Nevertheless, you are not just the dreamer. What you truly are is too vast to articulate, and entire other reality systems much more real than this one, are available to you when you, quote, wake up, close quotes. Does it hurt when you end a dream and wake up? No. The transition is very natural. Every day we wake up from our previous night's sleep, and we typically think nothing of it. Physical death is a similarly effortless transition. Countless near-death experiencers confirm that there is no pain in the transition itself from physical life to the non-physical one. In fact, just the opposite. The transition is incredibly liberating and full of unspeakable love and joy. Living in the physical, dreaming that you are actually form is the much more constraining and potentially challenging state. We are free to thrive here, to fully enjoy the contrast and all the experiences that this human life has to offer, but we do not need to fear the end of it in the least. Death is release, the great liberator, a joyful awakening into our much more native state. Not only do we not need to fear that, we can in fact look forward to it as the wonderful, expansive, celebratory return home that it is. And indeed, when we dismiss the specter of fear of death, we are able to live our lives more in joyful alignment with the immortal spirits that we truly are. I think it was, um, as I was listening to uh, some interviews of people who've had near-death experiences, and this one gentleman who's interviewed over 700 people who've had near-death experiences, And occasionally when they they ask this person who's been writing books about near-death experiences and interviewing people, occasionally they ask him, what about those people who have a near-death experience and they report it was hellish? And he says, he doesn't dodge the question. He says, yes, there are this very small percentage of people. I forget what the percentage is, but it's less than a single, you know, it's a single digit. It's not 10 or more percent. Those people do have the experience that 
what where they went was hellish and they come back with a set of learnings about what they need to do so that that's not their experience when they actually make the, the transition now again you know in talking about that i come back to what all these great books say what we're talking about here goes beyond words there are no words for this stuff so how can it be that you know 95% of the people have this bliss state as their experience of what's on the other side of the physical life and 5% have this hellish state we don't know we can't even talk about it so if you want to you can fill your life right now you can fill your thoughts and therefore create emotions around how there might be pain and suffering and hellish existence after you your body is no longer functioning and you can spend your time today in that energy in that emotion or you could choose to focus on the 95% of people that come back and say hey it's fabulous it's something to look forward to and I didn't even want to come back but I realized that from that non-physical state I could see and understand things more and I realized in the big picture it would be better if I come back to this you know the the, the work a day the grind the physical experience even though it's not anywhere near as enjoyable as the bliss state of the non-physical How do you make sense of that? I don't know. If I had a near-death experience and they offered me the option, would I come back? I don't know. And like I tell people, in a lot of different things in my work with them, I can't tell you what I would do in your circumstance. I would have to be in that circumstance myself and see how it unfolds. I can tell you what I would hope I would be able to do, but I can't tell you what I would do because none of us know until we're actually in the middle of that experience what's going to unfold from us how strong we're going to be able to be so again just so you know we've got almost 30 minutes left plenty of time for comments or questions 563-999-3581 believe this button doesn't want to click Susan are you there I am here can you hear me yes okay I told myself I was not going to press one today anyway juicy delicious wonderful topic of course for a person pushing 79 years old age And I'm just wondering what it was in the Christian Sundberg book that popped a switch. And I feel so differently about death. And it seems to be, not wood, it seems to be holding my sister. I have an older sister who's seven years older than I am, who called the other day and said she 
feels like a car that can only hold about a gallon of gas. And it, when it runs out, she just has to lie down. And she's even found a family to take her little dog. She said, I haven't got the steam to walk this dog a few times a day, even just around half a block. Uh, and she fell and hurt both knees, and she was a ballet dancer, beautiful dancer. She was in the New York City Ballet. She was so good. Audition for Balanchine. I mean, can you imagine? And she's used to being so, even now she's very, she does yoga every day. But she's saying she doesn't mind. She says it's kind of wonderful. And instead of saying, oh, my God, how can you feel that way? I get it. I feel that way. I feel that way. There's an excitement. There's a, a wonderful excitement about this period of life. And I thank Christian Sundberg and, of course, you for introducing him. What did he say? I don't even know what he said. But he said something. Well, right. But the key here is that it's not anything he said. It's what you let it mean for you. So rather than trying to stumble into what did he say and what was the magic out there, look at what was the magic in you. What is the magic in you? What are you allowing, relaxing into, shifting a belief about within yourself? It may not have anything to do with anything he literally said. I don't know. It happened during that book. Certain ideas, I probably could find my way into it. The fact that he had the choice to come back and that people on the planet are considered by who he was among before he took on a body again. They consider us heroes, which is amazing considering the messes we make and the trouble we get into. Um, He gave it. I feel as if, you know, when you look at the earth and then you see the atmosphere around the earth, a layer of, a very thin layer of breathable oxygen. And then out from there, I feel as if he added another layer so that life is a lot bigger than just being here on the planet. Well, that is certainly part of the message. That's certainly a big part of this message. And so if you're using that to uh, dismantle the thoughts that you were using to create fear about death, good for you. Well, I don't feel as if I did it. It's sort of what you've been saying. It isn't me. I don't have that. It happened. It came. It was a gift. It really was. I don't think it was a result of work or anything. Right, but it's, a, but, but, but it's a result of a changing of the thoughts that you were buying into that were creating all the fear. And so now you're no longer creating the fear of death that you were creating before. Mm. Yeah, the only tricky thing about 
getting ready to die is my sister lives alone. Her husband died about four years ago. And she has a, a son who is bipolar and very unpredictable. And she stays in Massachusetts near him. He's on the edge of homelessness all the time. He's being supported by the state. He has an apartment, but it's in shambles. And he's very bullying and rude to his neighbors to the point where the landlord, who has been very good to him, is saying, I can't keep you here. You're ruining my property. Nobody else wants to move in. Uh, I have to make a living. Uh, Things don't straighten out. And this is non-compliant. This nephew of mine, he won't take meds. He doesn't want to go into a mental hospital. He thinks he's fine. Boy, we have this in the family, zigzagging through the family. So my sister is trying to watch out for him. And she has a daughter in Colorado who is now early retired and coming to help. But that's the thing is how do you get to the point of dying? There's there's a lot of stuff to go through. Going through your junk, estate, getting people to vouch for you if you your marbles have gone missing and um, those end stage things where you might be physically healthy and mentally gone and how long is that going to last and how are you going to pay for it and all that complication. Um, but that isn't I mean, those are, those could be those those are dealt with messily, but actually going over. I was with an uncle the night before he died. He was in the hospital. He he said, "I'm very uncomfortable." He was having trouble breathing. I'm very uncomfortable, but I'm so excited. I feel like a kid before Christmas. I just can't wait to to die and see what's next. <laughs> Isn't that great? And I was like, "You nutcase! How can you feel like that? You're supposed to be afraid." Well, that tells you a lot about our culture and our training. That that you would think he's a nutcase for for thinking that. I know. And then my aunt, who was with him too, he had had years of fragility, broken bones, need of drastic dental work. And after I'm, I was with her, who was with him, and she was with him when he died, she was perfectly calm. I drove her back to her apartment, and I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, at least it isn't another broken bone. <laughs> he was sick and tired of all of it. She was relieved that he died. seems like a sacrilege to say that, and I don't think it is. Anyway, no, it only seems like it if you've been trained yeah. to think that it is. I mean, these are just, you know, these are only thoughts. And mm-hmm. you can spend your time with all the worry about how do I arrange everything so nicely so that other people don't have to deal with my stuff when I'm gone. Or, but you don't have to. Many, many people die unexpectedly young or old and they haven't given any thought to it. And the world spins on anyway. It's all just stuff. Mm. And that's one of the messages of these great spiritual teachings is it's all working out. Just because your mind can't see how doesn't mean it's not working out for the best for everyone and everything in the bigger of all pictures. Yeah, 
So we get to decide what are we going to spend our mind energy on? Are we going to worry yeah. and fret about the mm-hmm. details? and Or are we going to enjoy the ride? But that whoever said, or you said, once you stop worrying about death, you're freed up in so many ways to be present and to enjoy your life. That's just what you were saying. One thing produces the other. Or obscures the other. Right? If I worry about it, I obscure my ability to appreciate and enjoy life in this moment. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to call in because I call in an awful lot and um, I feel as if I've got a monopoly on the radio show or something. I feel... It's too much. I know, don't say anything, it's all thoughts, but <laughs> complicated. <laughs> but but from time to time, you can't resist calling in to tell me to shut up. I get it, I get it. <laughs> I have that effect <laughs> on a lot of people. <laughs> I know. I do that with don't Michael say anything. too. He says, let me remind you, you never loved anyone, and I think, don't tell me that again. <laughs> I love my cat, all right? I'm going to love my cat. <sighs> Sometimes the truth is hard to hear over and over again. Well, yeah, and but it's only um, semantics. It's not like the truth. You know, it's not like because Michael Rice came up with this set of... Uh, phrases that he wants to use to drive home the point that that love is a noun and not a verb it doesn't mean that's the truth it's just the way he likes to talk about it and teach it so there's clarity and consistency but again it's yeah. all just words go for the feeling it's the feeling that changes these things not my words about it not even at many different levels, my actions about it in the physical realm. The thing that changes this, the thing that makes it significant, the stuff that these spiritual teachings tell me I'm going to take with me into the next frame of experience, is the feeling. So do what feels good and right and wholesome to you and if it feels really good to you to say I love my cats say I love my cats and say it with all of the energy and all of the meaning that resonates well for you no problem and if somebody comes along and wants you to change what you say or do just bless them on their way mm-hmm it's one of the reasons that I say in this teaching on this show we talk about it this way it doesn't mean it's the right way or the only way it's just Mm -hmm. as a way of uh, giving some respect to Michael's teaching and the message he wants to get out with the purity he wants to maintain with it but it doesn't mean it's I never tell anybody I love them 
You know, I don't walk around with a little Michael Rice on my shoulder monitoring everything I say and, you know, <laughs> flicking my earlobe with his finger in anger every time I say I love somebody or that made me angry. That's mm-hmm. that's a, that's that's as silly as believing that I need to say um, five rosaries and do get indulgences and go to confession in the Catholic Church and you know tithe and, and if I don't do that I'm going to burn in hell or at least have a longer time in t- purgatory before I make it to heaven. If it doesn't matter what the thought structure is. Krishnamurti was very good at this, saying it doesn't matter what your belief or thought structure is, it's not real. It's Mm. not the truth, capital T, truth. Capital T, truth can't be spoken. Same message at the beginning of the Tao Te Ching. Somebody just texted me and said, I can't talk because I'm at work right now, but please tell Susan to keep calling with four exclamation points. <laughs> I've gotten That's so much from nice. listening to her. I've gotten so much from listening to her and so much from the dialogue between you two. Susan, call every day. I vote for you being the co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever that is, thank you so much. That is so sweet. I love it. I feel good. Now, I can't say that makes me feel really good, but it makes me feel really good. Yeah, you can say that because Michael's not here yet. (laughs) (laughs) I know. No, he has waked me up to the the flaws in all of the way we think. But, and I do sometimes, even on my own Zoom call, one of our other speakers or friends on the Zoom call said, it makes me feel, and I said, remember what Michael says, it doesn't make you're deciding. And she says, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you a quick question. Maybe it's not so quick. Anyway, I've been listening to this John St. Julian somebody, and a lot of people are saying this now, that we are living in a virtual universe. Um, and it's sort of, I, I don't know what to do with that. It, I don't know what to do with that. This is, it isn't that it's real, but it's certainly a lot more substantial and nuanced and dimensional than a virtual. Virtual means like a Disney movie, right? Maybe I don't understand what they're saying. Okay. So, yes, we don't understand what they're saying. We can't even begin to comprehend. Remember, we're like the infant that's just crawling around. When somebody puts a napkin over the red rubber ball, we can't we can't remember that it was there. As it might as well never have mm-hmm. existed for us. There are ways of experiencing and comprehending things that are as different from what we, even the, the most highly advanced spiritual teacher you'll ever meet in the body, is like an infant compared to that person's higher self or consciousness in, in total. Mm-hmm. Because because that person as a body is not the same as its consciousness. Its consciousness is infinite. One, one way to talk about it is that your consciousness, this infinite energy consciousness expansion thing, has used a tiny bit of its energy 
to form the body. And when I say tiny, I mean an infinitesimally small fraction of 1% of your of the energy of your consciousness is used to construct your body and your entire life and all those experiences. Now, does that make sense to you? Well, I don't know, maybe at some level, but you can't even begin to feel the truth of it. None of us can. What they're trying to tell us is there's a lot more going on here than we can possibly know. And even if there was someone who could spell it out for us perfectly word for word, if there were the words in a vocabulary mm-hmm. that could describe it, 100% we wouldn't be able to comprehend what it was saying. So let it go and just play with it a little bit around the edges. Oh, maybe there's, like, like just the reading that I was doing today about how death need not be feared, Right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Or were you thinking about something else when I was reading it? (laughs) No, I I remember it. It's it's essentially the same thing you're talking about. You know, the next essay essay that I was going to read is the inherently limited understanding of form. What's form? Mm. everything you experience in your body, every thought is of form, every belief is of form, the physical world that you interact with is all form. And this this essay is titled The Inherently Limited Understanding of Form. And it reads, until you can understand all phenomena, you cannot fully explain any one part of all phenomena. In other words, you can't speak to fully understanding why something is if you cannot speak to the understanding of why everything is. Everything is ultimately connected. And identifying relationships between forms does not convey a true understanding which is complete. In our world, we often identify, quote, why, close quotes, something has happened when we can point to some other thing that caused it. And we believe identifying the relationships between various forms means we understand them, right? This is why that exercise in the way of mastery was so powerful. Pick up an object several times in your day. A knick-knack mm-hmm. off the shelf, one of the utensils from your drawer, a bowl, a plate, touch your knee and think about it, and just get really honest about how you don't know where this came from. You don't know who was the first human being to have a thought to make an object like this. You don't know where the material that's in this spoon or plate or cup or iPhone came from. And in that exercise, we can start to train ourselves to loosen the, the, the rigid yoke of rigid, the logical understanding that we've been conditioned into. In our world, we often identify why something has happened because we point to something else that happened 
at the same time or that we think caused it. And we believe relationships mm. between various forms means we understand them. For instance, that that ice over there melted because its temperature rose above 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Why did the temperature of the ice rise above 32 degrees Fahrenheit? Well, we may identify a cause for that too. And science helps us to follow a logic chain and understand physical laws further and further until we understand many complex relationships, at least between how these physical objects interact. But eventually and inevitably, we arrive at a, quote, we don't know why that is. It just is, uh-huh. close quote. And that means that the understanding remains incomplete. We tend to believe yeah. we understand the true cause of something when we comprehend some level of the cause and effect relationships that relate to it. In other words, we're satisfied when we can explain one form by identifying its relationship with other forms to some subjectively sufficient degree of complexity. We also tend to do this with more nebulous topics such as religion or social phenomena. For instance, we may ask, why is there racial inequality in America? And then we point to historical context, political events, or even to groups of people or to their ideas to try and explain that. Or we might ask, we might ask why do we suffer? And we may embrace a religious idea that may seem reasonable, such as the idea of original sin. And we buy into the explanations. Soon enough, we believe that we, quote, understand, close quotes, reality. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, mm-hmm. all we grasp is but a tiny, tiny subset of the perceived relationships between its forms. <clears throat> So I'll totally. stop there. So, you can. so well, and when somebody what? says this world is like a dream and it's like a virtual reality, just say, oh, okay, and I'll play with that idea a little bit, and then I'll put it down and get on with life. <laughs> but you're That's not going to know, you know the know truth what, Dr. of it. Pim? What? The fact, you know, Michael always stresses we have nine bits active in a, a mind that has 10,000 Brain cells fire, right? That too has always been, I haven't been able to picture it, but that's what you're saying. The miracle is that you can get a shift when you don't know what you're doing. The, The tool is like a gimmick to flip some switch that we have no idea where it is or what it is, what color it is, whether you need a key. And if you do it and you hang out in the, in not knowing, you get a shift. And sometimes without even feeling as if you did anything. Anyway, somehow we have access to help when we don't even know what the problem is or how to ask. Yes. And I would say what's just coming to my mind to say here is that the solution most of the time 
is for us to quit creating the problem. There's <laughs> <laughs> another Tim Hayesism. <laughs> yeah. Up again. I don't know where that came from, but but that's you know that it's like good. what Guy Finley. That's what Guy Finley calls the mechanical level of mind. It just keeps churning and churning. And Krishnamurti would say, "Hey, look, you know your thoughts are not the thing. And when you pretend they are, you just make more and more of a mess for the, the, yourself in your life." And <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, the solution most of the time is for us to quit creating the problems. The way you said it was very good. Do you remember the exact words? I don't know, but it's in the recording. I think I might have gotten yeah. close to it that time. The solution most of the time is that we just quit creating the problems. Because we're creating problems that. with our thoughts all the time. We we make things mean whatever they mean to us. Mm-hmm. And we only suffer or have joy resonating in us because of what we make it mean to us. Right? That when, when, when that person texts it in about how they really want you to call every day and they love the interactions and they're learning so much from it, and, you know, y- you in yourself create joy and happiness with that, some other people could easily take that same statement and put it in a context which, you know, says to them, well, that's too much pressure on me. I don't want to be a co-host. Why is that person saying that, et cetera? And generate something other than joy. Well, you know, you said if you're in a certain frame or habit or because the trauma is sticking too close, you can only hear your own voice. You can't hear something that's positive. Your inner inner self won't hear anything but your own voice, yes. Okay. Well, whoever said that, I heard it. I think I really, 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 really heard it. And so that's that's good. Thank you. Well, you're entirely welcome and deserving. I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour. And as always, I greatly appreciate your calls, comments, and questions. Blessings. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tian. I hope you have a really good weekend. Thanks. You too. Blessings. Thanks. Okay. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Friday, May the 5th, 2023. Your call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Um, I can't hear you. Mute challenge. What can I say? 
Yeah. <laughs> so once again, welcome everybody. And your phone's doing that kind of, uh, I'm not even sure what to call it, uh, like a little machine gun kind of noise in the background, popping in and out. That is my headset. Sorry. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Seems yeah, to be. Yeah, my headset then. Cool. So once again, welcome everybody. Delighted on that you're here. We get to move forward this unfolding understanding. And when we realize how many directions understanding can come from and how many levels that assist in correction, it's just monumental. And so looking into physiology, psychology, genetics, I mean, there are so many things that impact how we function as human beings. And then, of course, the truth of who we are, how we function as the active presence of love, and that there are physiological mechanisms that express or which I say, give manifestation space to either states of fight, fright, freeze, fear, fawning, fainting, and that there's a different mechanism throughout the structure when we look at physiology, at what we call the body and how that expresses. We've talked about sympathetic dominance versus parasympathetic and realizing that sympathetic dominance is a mechanism of fear, hostility, and stress. And while it's a wonderful system, if that system never loses its dominant posture, if we don't function a way that that system gets to tone down, quiet down, and allow us to shift into the mechanisms throughout the form for love, for the embodiment, for the incarnation of our human lives, then we don't get to function as human beings. We get to function out of that survival mode, that self that's based in hostility, fear, and stress mentally, physiologically, emotionally, the nervous system. And each of these mechanisms gives a different way of expressing, a different way of understanding what it is that we're speaking about uh, when we talk about healing. And that, you know, to be holy uh, didn't mean have your hands folded and be down on your knees, but rather it was meant to be understood a whole on all levels and if we don't pay attention to every level where change is needed in order to express wholeness in order to express health the root of the word health is wholeness if we ignore arenas where correction can be made then the completion of or the bringing into expression of the healed state becomes more and more difficult. So the more directions we understand 
energetically healing can come from, the more empowered we are to bring about that healed state. And of course, the bottom line from the perspective of the why is this happening to me again work is offered in the opening words in the book of John, which we're told is a book that has something to do with theology and religion, but in fact is not about theology nor religion. It's about physiology. It's about psychology. It's about genetics. It's about how the mind works and how we work as human beings. And the... I'm realizing more and more as I understand more and more about especially the physiological aspects just how purely genius it was for this man Yeshua 2,000 years ago to present the process of forgiveness and to recognize that it is the most profound stress management device on the planet. And these states of sympathetic dominance are all states where people are locked into high levels of stress. Knowing how to manage one's stress, we end up with physiological difficulties because of the energy locks that happen when Resources are used up because there's more stress than the system can handle. It's in here that statement we have covered not not so long ago where we hear Yeshua saying sufficient for the day are the evils thereof. And you go, what the heck does that mean? And then you get out of the Greek mistranslations and gross misunderstandings of the Greek back into the Aramaic, and you realize that that word evil in that context actually is more of a translation that would be unripened or incomplete. So he's saying, don't have, you know, long form, don't have any more stressors, i.e. goals, than you can achieve in the next waking period. When you follow that directive, your stress will be at levels that are acceptable. It's when people add on the other two eternities. The eternal present is here, and what am I going to accomplish in the next waking period? In other words, you know, it's, it's now you know, a little after 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and am I going to be awake until 11 o'clock? What's on my plate? What are the stressors that I have on my plate? What goals have I set? It's so urgent to understand that stress is created by goals. It is not created by situations. And so when Yeshua says sufficient for the day are the evils thereof, he's, he's equating that word evil as incomplete projects, goals. People talk about stressful situations. There is no such thing as a stressful situation. Somebody walks into a switch situation and they're going berserk with pressure. Someone else stands right beside them and they're like, what's going on? So what? One person is loaded with goals related to the situation. The person has none or few. And their goals are manageable. If we 
find ourselves in sympathetic dominance, that fear, fright, flight, freeze, fawning, fainting mode. The resolution lies in getting out of sympathetic dominance, the overload and the overwhelm of stress. Bringing stress back to manageable levels means that I literally cancel every goal I have for beyond 11 o'clock tonight. There's something I want to accomplish tomorrow. I don't load it in my mind as a goal because if I do, my mind is in stress and each stressor, each time I set a goal that creates a stress, uses up resources. If I go beyond the next waking period, again, sufficient for the day are the evils thereof, then I've used resources for something that produces nothing. And that's when people become overstressed and their minds crash. Very much like a computer, you've got your word processor open, it zips right along, works fine. Got your word processor and your calculator open, processor, pardon me, and your calculator open, and it rocks along. You got your word processor, your processor, your email, and your calculator open, and it's doing pretty good. But with all that open, and then you open the CAD program, all of a sudden things bog down, slow down. It's like, what happened? Well, there are only so many resources, and if the resources are filled up, with activities, then the resources are no longer available. So each time you set a goal, each time you commit to producing a result in your life, that commitment uses up resources. You know, the reason why the computer crashes, let's say you've got, you know, 16 gigabytes of RAM. And by the time you've opened eight programs, 15 gigabytes of that RAM is used. Well, now in order to run the next program, you've only got one gigabyte of space. Something that's in that 16 gigs has to be removed for something else to go in and something else and something else and something else. So the whole process is slowed down until the computer is overloaded and crashed. The person who knows, gee, they've got a whole day of work to do, but simply quits, lays in bed, and does nothing, is overwhelmed with stress. Too many goals. And so the urgent thing to do in that case, in order to reduce stress, so that you get your resources back, and with your resources comes higher levels of intelligence. Literally, in sympathetic dominant mode, so many resources are used up. And with those resources used up, there's no room to move information around to handle, you know, somebody who's got 10 years of goals on their plate. There's no resources to manage that much data. So you cancel goals, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because if you set them in an, a time period that is not appropriate, you will be overwhelmed. And when the mind is overwhelmed, 
It's not going to be long before it crashes. It just quits and says, I'm finished. I stop. And so the importance of the forgiveness process, the forgiveness worksheet process, which if you want more information on it, you can jump on our website, www.whyagain.org. If you go up into the upper left-hand corner and click Start Here, it'll walk you right through the whole body of information that we have about forgiveness. When you engage in it, what you find is the bottom line of forgiveness as opposed to being about letting other people off the hook. It's about removing goals from your mind and reclaiming the resources that were used up by goals that were set in an inappropriate way. So the person who's in the circumstance and they're going nuts with stress and says, oh, this is such a stressful circumstance. What they're really saying is this circumstance resonates so many goals that I'm in overwhelm. The person who stands there and goes, what's going on? Why are you upset? Has no goals resonated by that circumstance. So they don't call that circumstance stressful. But the circumstance itself is not cause. The goals in the mind are the cause. And and it's a wonderful mechanism. You need stress. Without stress, you'd be dead. But you don't need stress from tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next year and the next month and the next year and then the next year and the next year and the next year and, the next year and your 10-year goal. You don't need to hold all of that in resources. All that will do is overload the functioning of the whole system. That's when it crashes. And crashes look like rage. They look like depression. They look like quitting. They look like sitting in front of a task that needs to be done and going, I can't do it. Why not? No resources left. What do you do if your computer's crashing because you've got too many programs open? Oh, I don't really need to keep my email open. I'll close it. When you close that email, some of the RAM memory that was being used by that program is returned to resources. It's now available. When you close the CAD program, that's a huge gobbler of resources. When you close it, you get those resources back. You know, kind of like country music when you play it backward. You get your car back, you get your girl back, you get your dog back, you get your horse back, you get your farm back. Well, each time you cancel a goal, you reclaim resources, and the more resources you have available internally, the more functional you will be. So if that makes sense for everybody, we have talked recently about the Mind Goal Management Sheet. If you go to the YAGAN website, you'll see the uh, section on other worksheets, and there you'll find the Mind Goal Management Sheet. And as we said the other day, if uh, if that's something that you really need to be getting your head into, then you might want to order a copy of a streaming copy or a DVD copy of the workshop, Getting the Stress You Need. Because without stress, we'd all be dead. Stress is an absolute requirement to live. It's a wonderful thing. You just have to keep it at manageable levels. Now, you look at how the culture is playing, 
and how people are bought into, well, gee, the boss wants me to do this, and my spouse wants me to do that, and my kids want me to do that, and my government wants me to do this, and my church wants me to do that, and my, whoa. And if somebody's trying to satisfy all of those goals framed by others, if they adapt the goals framed by others, then they unconsciously create levels of stress that create disease and suffering and collapse the ability to function properly. So the core of that worksheet process, the reality management, is the canceling of goals, the reduction of stress, reclaiming resources. Oh, all of a sudden we're more intelligent, more capable, more inspired. This relates to physiology when one is in sympathetic dominance and the basic underlying mode is that of fear, hostility, or stress. Physiological resources are shifted over to survival. That means everything to do with higher function, with thriving, with digesting, with resting, is now has, has a restricted blood supply and those parts of the structure don't work properly. And virtually every disease is involved in that game. So not only do we regain resources when we engage in forgiveness, claim parts of our physiology that have been cut off by living in an overwhelmingly stressful mind, which tends to just tie right into the hostility and fear mode of so many people on the earth today. So in essence, that's where we're going with these tools. Glad you're here to be part of the conversation. And Ms. Jingdu, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Uh, no, nobody has a hand up, and there's no one in the chat room. Actually, I got kicked out of the chat room, had to go back into it again. So it's still acting up. So if someone Crazy. has a question or a comment, press 1. So if you're out there in listener land, and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, call into the show directly, 563-999-3581. And when you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly on your phone. And then if you have a question, all you do is press 1, and we're having a conversation. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? How is your use of the tools going? It's a powerful conversation in yesterday's show, if you were not part of it. You might want to go back and give a listen to the archives with Peter, who called in from Sweden and just had some really powerful sharing to do around the care he gave his father in the last days that he was alive and, uh, and being with him through the process of passing away. It's a really powerful gift to, to everyone who listens to understand from the perspective of 
the experiences Peter shared yesterday was just so profound. And you have a hand up? Awesome. Let's say hello. It's area code 480. You are on the air. Is this Cecilia? Yeah. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Michael. Hey there, young lady. How can we support you today? Well, I am at Staples right now, and I am trying. I'm. I need to get clear. If I, I mean, I think what I read that Jeannie sent me is to. There's links to different different uh, worksheets to, and and I need to print all of those out, right? I mean, it seemed like a lot of them, but I'm just getting clear. So we're well, two a as, day as the whole, for 17 weeks. That's fine, yeah. but the worksheet itself to print it out to have a worksheet. You didn't I have? Didn't I have um, certain ones for certain? Um, yeah, but there's or, only one of each of only one of each of the others. The seven step oh. uh, short form of the forgiveness sheet is the only one you needed two a day for the 17 okay. weeks. But the rest of you need one. One a day? One? No, just one, period. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. I'm going to try to figure that out while I'm here and go into my phone and everything and have them print that out. But isn't isn't it like I need how many, though, of the ones I'm going to do two a day total? I'll I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I think think Jeannie sent some instructions via email on that. Yes. And so yes. rather than take other people's time on figuring out sure, what worksheets sure. you need, maybe you could just refer to yeah. that and and uh Well let me let me hold. let me just yeah, I will. Is it very hard to get focused with this stuff? Like I'm having issues of of trying to put it all together and what's step one and what's step two and all that. Well, I mean I get that I watch the videos and all that and, and there's assignments in the videos, but is it is it is it just because there's resistance, obviously, right? It, I think you probably hit the nail on the head. There's some resistance. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it, the, the instructions are pretty simple and straightforward. And mm-hmm. if you have a lot of goals around things like, you know, I don't want to deal with this or avoiding things or resistance, then those goals mm-hmm. are going to come up and your mind is going to tend to move into confusion. And there's where you take the tools and start to work with. So if I'm confused, what what mm-hmm. what do I need to forgive? What what you know, confusion in that case, mm-hmm. I mean confusion is a part of the healing process, but if not, if I'm not forward into the healing processes yet, I, I'm just in confusion, that's probably my resistance. And so I'm okay. gonna just do a simple basic worksheet on. So what am I resisting? Well, there are things I don't want to look at, things I don't want to deal with. So then what's my goal? Do the worksheet. Carry it through step by step. And then go back mm-hmm. to the email and the instructions are there, A, B, C, D, E. Follow the steps. Okay. And okay. it sounds like it sounds like you might, you know, maybe that whole first section was for your situation right now that your mind has got so many goals running. There's so many things I want to have happened in my life that are mm-hmm. not things that are relative to what I'm going to actually accomplish today. And mm-hmm. that would be okay. the case where you'd start just canceling those goals and getting getting your resources back, getting your intelligence back, getting your comprehension okay. back. Yes, thanks. Make I sense? Hear that. I, yes. Cool. 
Okay. okay. Well, I'm going to go. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Michael. Hold Thanks. Space. Thank Blessings. You. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So press one, and you'll be first in line. There's nobody ahead of you. Ask your questions. Make your comments. Direct the How topic. can we support you? What's on your mind today? 563-999-3581. If you're out there in listener land, we'd love to hear from you. How are your worksheets going? How are the stress levels in your life? What support do you need in the use of the tools? Direction, would you like to see the show go today? Push one, ask your question, and that's the direction we'll head in. At this point, I'm complete with my monologue talking about stress and getting the stress you need. And so I'd love to have a conversation with somebody. What's on your mind? How can we support you? 563-999-3581. All's quiet out in listener land, Jeannie? It is. Oh, interesting. Well, anything on your plate for today to talk about, to look at? Mm -hmm. No, just... uh working with a, a little girl who is not totally connected today, but we're getting there. Uh-huh. Cool. We've got already rain today. And one of the things that, uh, that we're working on here on the property, we've talked about before, is uh, an indigenous garden. So this weekend we're going to take a little just personal vacation, both Jeannie and I and head up to a, uh, a place about, oh, five hours northeast of here in Virginia to uh, take a look at a native species. I, I guess it would be called a preserve, about 4,000 acres, and the uh, property is dedicated to the same thing that we're working on here with just one corner of our home lot where we've eradicated the lawn just a small area, 100 by 25 feet, big enough area when we're, you know, laying down new soil, you know, going over a clay base and such. But uh, we're going to go up and apparently this weekend is the the weekend that the trilliums are out in all kinds of different color in this preserve. So we're heading up there to learn a little bit more about native species gardens, about supporting uh, pollinators and the uh, insect life that, uh, although oftentimes we detest it, it is, in fact, one of the key foundations of our lives. You know, without insects, humanity's in big trouble. And sadly, there's a lot of energy about, you know, destroying insects, 
one of the things that uh, really interrupts pollinators in their function that we've learned recently is all of these lights in cities and around cities and in rural areas, you know, the farmer puts out a, uh, a light that's on 24-7 or at least in, in dark hours and all of a sudden the insects go for the light and aren't doing what the insects are supposed to be doing and it helps to destroy species. We've actually got a light just out over top of uh, where our uh, our new pollinator garden is going to be, our indigenous species, plant species garden. And we're going to approach the city and ask if they'll take it out. Because that's uh, one of the most destructive things there is. That, you know, insects have never seen a world up until the last few years that is all artificially lighted and it interrupts their circadian rhythm, it interrupts their reproduction, it interrupts everything because they're programmed to fly to the light. So lots of lots of nuances to this uh, new study that we've entered into of building soil, building spaces for pollinators, and recognizing that, you know, there are certain insects that have co-evolved with just one plant. And if the uh, developers come in and plow all species of that or all um, examples of that plant out of a space, then that pollinator's gone because it can't even reproduce without that plant. So we're working to bring some of those plants onto this property to support those pollinators and uh, hopefully assist the insect population in the world to thrive rather than go into destruction because when they collapse, we collapse. So that's a, a, a new arena that we're looking at as part of this whole, you know, when they, I mentioned that word earlier, that word holy, it's about whole, about understanding all aspects of it. You know, people can play all kinds of games about, oh, we need to do war because those people are a threat to us, or we need to do drugs because we're sick, or, 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 or. And there's no understanding of all of the things that come into the experience of ourselves as human beings at this time on the earth, and how to step into the space where we can thrive internally and externally, and how many things are involved in doing that. We've become a rather self-centered species, and in so doing, we've done that to our own detriment. We think we're doing it for our own good, but in fact, it's to our own detriment. So just one more thing to think about if one's going to be holy, if we're going to function whole and full. I was um, watching a, a video yesterday on this whole idea. Actually, it was about dandelions. I didn't realize that a dandelion was a um, was a member of the sunflower family, and that it was ubiquitous around the world. Literally, six continents. The only only continent that doesn't have dandelions growing is the Antarctic. And when wealth started to accumulate in certain people's hands, there came a place where eradicating nature became part of the plan and replacing it with a lawn. And a lawn 
at that time became then the symbol of wealth. People who destroy in order to accumulate wealth grow lawns. And now it's, you know, I mean, every neighborhood, you, you if you don't have a lawn, you're not part of the neighborhood. Now, we're in the process of starting to destroy our lawn purposely, consciously, and replace it with indigenous species plants so that pollinators can survive and thrive and keep we as humans functioning. So I, I had no idea that uh, the lawn was actually initially something that wealthy people did and became a symbol that, oh, everybody wants one because then it shows you're wealthy. And here's the thing that does nothing but, you know, for most people, absorb millions of pounds of chemicals, utilize uselessly thousands of gallons of water, and um, basically destroys the earth. And yet it's a symbol of, you know, the nicely trimmed lawn in that you're prim and proper. So it's just an interesting perspective on many things that, uh, that make us capable as a species of functioning and the many things that need to be considered in order to be, again, holy, in order to function as whole human beings and be part of this earth recognizing that we're not the owners of the earth but that we're a part of it we're an expression of it and it fits hand in hand with forgiveness and and removing the brainwash that the culture has put into us that keeps us out of harmony with the truth of who we are and keeps us out of harmony with the natural world so just another perspective, another piece in the puzzle of living fully as a human being. And Miss Jeannie, I'm pretty much complete with what I have to say for today. So if we have nobody out there in listener land that has a question, then perhaps we need to... Uh, Show. I'd rather continue the conversation with someone, but perhaps we need to let the show go so that we can get some of the uh, the things done that we need to do before we hit the road tomorrow. So one last call. If you're out there in listener land, have you got a thought for us, a question, an answer, an idea on anything to do with the tools? And if not, I'm going to say thanks up. for joining. Oh, good. Good. Eric. Area code five four one. This is Julie. Are you back on yes. the, the side of the water? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm further than well, the, the line of Pacific. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, it feels good um, in a lot of ways. When did you arrive? About a week ago, Thursday. Ah. So yesterday, a week ago, yesterday. Yeah, cool. and taking care of business getting stuff together to move more of it to Spain and then just How's your dad doing? Um, the family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other day I think you were talking to um from our from our class. The the doctor in Harumph, was it that you were talking right. to? Right. Dr. Andrade. Talking about his father? Yes. Oh. Sounded no, like actually him. that was Peter 
that was Peter from Sweden that was talking about his dad. Oh, right. Peter. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was really touching that day. I, I'm going to listen powerful to it again. I heard part of it. Yes, it was. Yes, and it got me more in touch with that. This could be it this time. I'm visiting. You know, I'll be here till August. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm um, going to go visit him soon and see how he's doing. So sweet. But I like. I like what um, one of you, you, Michael, were sharing about someone who passed away that, or you knew of someone who, um, or it was Jeannie's father who who saw the way right at the end, you know, and they came in to revive him, and she said, no, he got, he got there, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he and, was ready, and, that, and it was, it was powerful like and that. sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I stayed with my piano teacher um, overnight to kind of just be there because I was visiting and he had a group of people visit him before he was going to pass. And in the morning, <clears throat> his eyes were wide open, a smile on his face, and he was looking in a certain direction, you know. And I just knew it was okay. He, he'd been gone for some time over the night. And it just it made me, re- hearing your story, helps me to relax more about my dad because I think that uh, I'll be able to see that in him when I see him next. Mm. Well, my wish for you, my wish for you and for him is Mm -hmm. that you get the blessing, you know, if and when he's ready to go, that you get the blessing of actually being able to be there, hands on him, being with him when he Mm -hmm. makes that move. It's so precious. Yeah, I I think that that could happen, really. So I'm willing, you know, to just be there. And um, I was there for my mother, and that was interesting for me. It, I remember feeling kind of uh, kind of a clamminess, um, like I wanted to go with her, kind of. But there was something that, mm. of course, wasn't going to let me. But you know. Just that connection. And then there she went. And so mm-hmm. I said, Hey mom, have you seen God yet or have you did you have you learned anything yet? It was kinda of quick to expect an answer. <laughs> but you know, um, there's been a lot of beautiful things going on for me lately. I ha- I don't know how I'll articulate this very well right now, but I'm starting to see with my partner when he, well, first of all, I'm listening better, okay? And I'm willing right. to see um, what projection is instead of getting defensive just because it's activated in me. And a couple of times I've been able to just by listening see what it is that I'm not wanting to listen to in myself that is being right. um, revealed. And it's really unique because it takes all the energy off me defending or wanting to blame back or push back or project back and just letting it settle. And and it totally relaxes him, too. And it just um, nothing needs to be done about the words. They just need to be said so that one feels they're heard, you know. And I'm just, um, it's a new experience for me that is opening mm. other other perceptions, too. 
um, awarenesses. So I wanted to share that. And Sweet. I loved our um, our last Mind Shifters session. I appreciate it a lot. I um, I lost my phone on the way here from Spain at one of the airports somehow inadvertently. I Ouch. Yeah, I left my phone actually on and in my main suitcase that I was checking, and it just disappeared because I think they probably detected it and had to remove it. So, so that's what happened, and so I lost all my notes and all my all kinds of things, and I get to start fresh again with, um, you know, what was actually what in I your check-on bag. Yeah, because I was at the last minute, I was getting rid of my purse because it was too bulky and heavy and um, not working for me. And I had room in my suitcase, so I was trying to get it in there. And um, I think what happened is the phone fell out into the bag, and I thought I had everything out and didn't have it really. So that Mm. was weird, unconsciously weird. (laughs) But it's okay. It's all handled now. Have you tried tracking it? Um, no, I wouldn't know how to do that, really. Hmm. You mean like through a phone company? Through you can you can go on you can there's a program on Google you can go on and uh, and track if the phone is still powered somewhere, we'd be able to track it and tell where it is. It might be worth doing oh. a little research, and you might find it that way. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Google it and see what you find. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. All that all that information can be very precious. <laughs> and and I, I hear that you've canceled your need to have it, so you're okay with it too, but mm-hmm. who knows, maybe Thank that'll you. be part of the mechanism of getting it back in your hands. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um well I'll let you go if you feel All right, like, young lady. And I love what you're doing with your gardens. Yep. So are we. We're enjoying it, having fun with it and looking forward to mm-hmm. it. Seeing these trilliums up in Northeast Virginia. These trilliums. Trilliums. This oh, preserve trillions. that we're going to was oh. set aside, donated by somebody. It's about four thousand acres, and their claim to fame is they have this flower called a trillium, which is uh, actually I understand that all around the country although it covers the whole West Coast, or pardon me, East Coast, that it's illegal to pick just about everywhere. I'm not sure exactly what the dynamics are of that, but uh, it comes in all kinds of colors. It's actually the the provincial flower of Ontario, Canada. And uh, so Mm -hmm. that's where we're heading this weekend to... uh, to a place where this this is supposed to be the weekend where they are at their peak. So we're going to go catch that and hang out with the trilliums and the other native species up there. Oh, that sounds really great. I missed that earlier in the show. Well, take a photo or two. (laughs) Oh, we'll be taking some photos for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be wonderful. Are you taking granddaughter? No, no, she's staying home. Uh, we we like try to idea. pry her out of mom and dad's hands uh, a little <laughs> more at a time, but uh, that's not always easy. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're at work during the week when we're taking care of her, but otherwise they they mm-hmm. definitely like their time with, with Aria. And they're, they're both uh, Ryan and Gabby. They're awesome parents. Ryan just 
he has a day off and Arya's with him rather than, oh, send him over to Grandma's and I'll go do my own thing. <laughs> They're pretty awesome that way. That's good. Has to balance, you know. It's really so. All right. Up the uh, summer um, intensives and um, is is it coming along? And is is there going to be um, a kitchen that we cook in together as a group, or a chef that we have heading it up, or how how's that all coming along? Well, we decided to let it go. That it was just more of a project to get something going. If you remember, initially we had a group that had inquired and wanted to use the center, and that was kind of the the energy that they were creating uh, was part of Mm -hmm. what was inspiring us to go ahead and do a summer season. And then Mm -hmm. at the very last minute they dropped out, and we did hold off for a few weeks just looking at what all the, the dynamics were involved and what it would take to open the center after being closed down for three years and, you know, blah, 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 all all it would take. Mm -hmm. And just came to the Mm -hmm. point a couple of weeks ago of deciding it was just too much to do. Mm -hmm. So we've let the summer idea at Heartland go this year. Okay. There were a couple people that said they were, were interested, but nobody was, like, full commitment. And so we do have a building that needs a roof, so we're just going to have to hire somebody to there in Theodosia to fix it since our work team is not going to be there. Which roof? Which one of the cabins? Eternal support. Eternal support, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I know. That chore list increases, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, oh, whether well. we're there or not, yeah. it goes on. Yes, it does. So. I'm sure there are a lot of... Um, natural uh, pollinators there and, and other kinds of critters and insects. Yes. It's a healthy environment. Yeah. It is. It's definitely a lot a lot of um, waters, although sadly, when the settlers went through there back in the early part of the last century, they basically clear-cut everything. There's virtually no old-growth forest left there at all, which is really oh. a shame. And, and, of course, that led to... Um, topsoil disappearing you know you think about Mm -hmm. the dust bowl back in the 30s in the midwest well that was kind of you know the whole ozarks was just clear cut and uh pretty much trashed environmentally oh restoring that you know we've we've Mm. spent years at heartland building soil so we've got some really great soil if we get things back to the point where we're ready to do gardens again, that'll be awesome. But at this point, you know, with our obligations here with Aria, especially, you know, last in 2019, Jeannie stayed here with Aria and her dad while I went and did the summer season. And that was part of mm-hmm. what was going to have to happen again this year that I'd be leaving for a couple months. And, and so it just was more than we were ready to do. Yeah. I hear so you. we let it go. Yeah. But we'll keep you posted. Yep, sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. All right. Okay. (laughs) Bye bye. Welcome home. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. (laughs) Bye bye. All right. Well, we're down to about 13 minutes or so. Time for another conversation or two if you're out there in listener land. 563 999 3581. Miss Jeannie? And it's actually 10 minutes, so come on, press 1. 
I would rather have another 10-minute conversation with somebody. If you're out there with some questions for us, how can we support you? Otherwise, I'm going to just say thank you for joining us and have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.